Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. So it was probably in the late 1950s, the early 1960s, when Walt Disney himself decided to invite a few dignitaries, particularly people who were experts in their fields, on over to come and take a tour of the kingdom that he's created in Southern California called Disneyland, something he was very proud of and he wanted to showcase and show off being the expert in his field. He gave private tours to to movie stars. Ronald Reagan was one of them, in fact. To politicians, also Ronald Reagan, but anyway. And to celebrities. People took, when Walt called and said, let me show you the place, you took the offer. And you went and you got a private tour by the man himself. Everyone who took the tour was amazed and impressed with the world that Walt created. How can this be possible to walk into a place and be taken away like I am now? There was one private tour, though, that was a little different than all the other previous tours that he gave. You see, Walt had invited Billy Graham to come and take a private tour of Disneyland. They went down Main Street together. They saw Sleeping Beauty's castle and all of its wonder. They toured Tomorrowland and Adventureland. They took photos with Mickey and Minnie. In fact, Billy took his two boys with them on that trip to come and see the place. Walt showed them the sights and the sounds that created the world that will become known as Disneyland. And after the tour was complete, They've seen everything they could see. They found themselves sitting in a park bench. And so sitting there, Walt said, Billy, what do you think? And Billy was overwhelmed by the tour. He was very impressed, very amazed by what he saw. He said, well, gee, Walt, what a fantastic world. What a marvelous world of fantasy. But Walt wasn't satisfied with that response from Billy. And so he looked at Billy and he said, Billy, look around you. Look at all the people, all nationalities, all languages, all smiling, all having fun together here. He said, Billy, this is the real world. The fantasy is outside the gates. Hmm. Now, for those of you who've been with us on the Therefore Go series, and if you haven't seen the last three, I encourage you to, to go back and pull. You can go online and take a look through so you can see the journey we've been on. But if you've been with us, 
We've taken the journey from when Christ ascended and his command to go and make disciples of all nations. We have experienced the entrance of the Holy Spirit onto his disciples on Pentecost. And then last time we gathered, we talked about Peter addressing the crowd at that same festival, Pentecost, trying to, to explain to the crowd that the disciples were not drunk, but that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, just as the prophecy said they would be. And today, we're entering into a completely different stage of the story. A chapter is being moved over, a, a, a story page, if you will. We are starting to actually now see what Jesus was referencing when he spoke to the disciples about the church, when he was alive and when he was with them, and he referenced it. We're starting to see it come to truth now, see what he, what he means. We are, are starting to see what the great plan was all along. We've heard him talk about it. In fact, Jesus talked about it with the disciples often. He, he told Peter that he was going to build his church on him. And I think you and I would agree after this last particular uh, couple of verses when we talked about it two weeks ago that Peter was going to be the rock and after this last uh, standing before the great crowd that Peter was laying down the foundation of the church and was doing exactly what Jesus said he was going to be doing. Laying the entrance of the spirits. And so now our journey takes us to verse 42. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open that. To verse 42 in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. Now, in my Bible, when I open this section of Scripture up, it is titled here, The Fellowship of Believers. And we really haven't seen that before. I haven't really gone into that. We've seen that we've been following the disciples We've seen what they've been doing. We see what happens when they gather, and we see what happens when they put their faith in him. But now we're entering into another section of, of, of history, if you will, which is the fellowship of all believers, not just the selected ones, the ones that followed him on this earth. This is the first at least for me, when I was reading through this and I was going combing through it and, and, and studying it, for me, this is the first real time that we, that we start to see the evidence of Jesus' love after his resurrection. That there is, I'm going to tell you, there is absolutely no question in my mind or in your mind that the sacrifice at the cross was an act of love. No question about that. We all know that. But his love extends beyond the grave. Not just spiritually. We all know that if we put our hearts in him, we believe in him, and we trust in him, that we're saved spiritually. We know this. But what I'm reading in this section of the scripture is that it was also extended physically, his love. Physically on this earth, even after his resurrection and ascension. Even after that. And what am I talking about? What am, I, what am I referencing when I say physically is love? Well, I'm talking about you. Christ gave us the church. We are actually doing it right now in this very spot, in person and online. But the act of physical love that Christ 
has given us after his resurrection is you and me, the church. We are his true image of love when we gather. Now, church is something as common as baseball and apple pie in America. I mean, church is so common that those that aren't in leadership to it in some form or fashion really don't give it a second thought. We view it as something that we attend, something that, that we, we, we have a physical location. When we think of church, we actually have a place. The GPS knows what we're talking about. It has a destination in mind when we say, take me to church. And then here we go. It'll, just, it'll show you the way. It'll give you directions right here to this address. We also declare membership to it. We declare that I'm a member of XYZ Church. Well, what do, what do you get with your membership? Well, here's what I get at my church. I get this and this and this and this and this and this and that. And if I'm the gold platinum bird, then I get this. You know, we declare membership to the church that we belong to. We feel, and I know I was this way too, absolutely, that we feel that attending a worship service is doing a service to the Lord. That, that attending it is doing him a solid, doing him a favor. That we're coming in and we're going to engage in this. And I'm going to tell you that this indeed was the gold standard for the church for decades. This was it. This was the gold standard. How many people can we fit in the sanctuary? This is what churches would talk about. We would come up with creative ways to try to accomplish this. What can we do to get seats filled in the sanctuary? But I'm going to tell you that there has been. I have seen it. I've experienced it. There has been an awakening this last year. There's been an awakening that's taken place. The gold standard isn't the gold standard anymore. It's different. And so we all had to ask this question over the last year or so. What does the church look like when you take the gold standard away? All of the things that we've been using as metrics for success are no longer relevant. What do we do? I've only been trained in this. Everyone's only told me about this. I thought we'd judge it based on this. And then instantly, all of that went away. And then guess what the church was doing? Oh, gosh. Oh. You know, what are we going to do? I was like that. I mean, before I came to Gwinnett, I didn't even know how to stream. I know I look young and exciting like a rock star, and I should know all that stuff, but I don't. I didn't know how to stream. I've never streamed anything in my life. And so here I am figuring out, okay, do I this button? No, not that button, not that button. Yeah. <laughs> Almost just <laughs> caused the bomb to go off when I pushed that one. I was right there with you. So what do we do, right? What do we do when the doors are closed? And the gathering place is deemed unsafe. What do we do? What do we do? Well, this morning, 
Instead of trying to find a creative solution or a new initiative to title it or to find ways to, to continue to pro- I would like to answer this question by asking another question. What did the first church do? What did the first church do? They must have done something, right? Otherwise, the, the church would have ended when the first generation died away. But here we are. We're still here. We're still gathering. What did their church look like? My mind started racing about this question. What did the first church look? What did they do? Did they have big giant sanctuaries, smoke machines? Did they have a, a pastor that wore jeans and a t-shirt and that looked really cool? But gray hair, highlight hair, you know? Is this was what the first church... No, of course not. Of course, the church, the first church didn't look like that. And so I started to dive in and go, what did it look like? And so let's take a look. Because actually, Acts chapter 2 tells us what the first church looked like. So let's look at verse 42. Scripture says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching." And to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were, were together and, and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and, and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Just those few short verses, we are being given direct insider information of literally, and I don't mean that how we say it today, but literally on how the church started. And guess what? It wasn't complicated, it was simple. Seriously, it was really simple. In fact, we start in verse 42. It says that that they devoted themselves to the teachings of Jesus and then to each other. That they they broke bread and they they prayed together. So in other words, they, they ate together and then they went to the Lord together. And then scripture says that at that point, they were all Filled with awe, with with wonder, with awe. Let me ask, do do you remember the last time that you were filled with awe? Filled with it. Do you you remember? Can you recall that time? Maybe maybe you were filled with awe when when you went to Disney World and you saw Cinderella's castle for the very first time. It's a sight to see. 
Maybe it was a place that you visited, a concert that you went to as a great just a celebrity you met in the airport, just felt with awe and wonder. I remember the last time that I was genuinely filled with awe. It was when I was standing in Jerusalem and I was standing and staring at the Western Wall, known as the Wailing Wall at some time, but the Western Wall, standing there. It's a wall, but I was just staring at it, knowing that that same wall, that wall, was standing the day Jesus was crucified. But this, this right here, the most holy site in Israel. People pray there every day. They stuff their, their written prayers into the cracks of the bricks because the Jews call it a local call to the Creator. It's not long distance. The wall, the Western Wall. And I was standing there. And then I... I touched it. And in that moment, I remember being a complete awe. I felt a connection to my Savior that I had never had before. It's just a wall. It's silly. But it was just filled with awe because my mind was racing of the day that he was crucified. These walls could talk. Of what they could see. Hmm. This, this simple brick wall, filling my heart and my soul with wonder. And so when was the last time you were filled with awe? Filled with awe of the church, of the teachings of Christ, because, because Scripture says, right here, Scripture says that they were filled with awe and then many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. That they were filled with awe and then they had miraculous signs and wonders and things that, that they were witnessing from the apostles happening and taking place. And I, I began, when I read that, I began to wonder, is this why we don't see wonders and signs anymore? Is this it? Could it be because we as a church are no longer filled with awe? We're no longer filled with expectation of the greatness of God. That we're not perhaps filled with the spirits. Because when we are filled with awe and expectation and the spirit, miracles happen. Wonders, things happen. This happens. Why? Because we know it to be true. We see evidence of it. And we have to claim and believe in it. That's what we have to do. And so the scripture, it goes on to say that they sold all of their possessions and that they gave to everyone who was in need. And now rest easy. I am not suggesting that we sell all of our possessions and give it to the church so you can wipe the sweat away. But what I want you to really see here, really recognize here when you read this scripture is their spirit of generosity. That's what I want you to see. Their spirit of of generosity. The first church had a spirit, not even a, they had a burning desire of taking care of other people. It was just engraved in them. 
To them, it moved them to sell their possessions so that way no one was in need. That spirit of generosity. That, 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 that no matter your background, your history, or your geography, there was a place for you in this new church. There was a place for, for you to be a part of this family. I don't care what conflicts are happening in your country or what your government says or what your family says about you. But in this church, you are my brother and sister. In fact, here are my things are yours now because there is a spirit of generosity that belongs in this church. And that they, in fact, they display that hearts and hands are ready to serve at any time, at any place. And then the scripture says, and this one's important, is that they met regularly. They kept sharpening each other. That they gathered, much like we're doing today. They gathered together. Gathering has absolutely been an essential part of the church since its founding. Is to gather together. Life happens in the gatherings. It happens when we're together. It happened, life, life, and listen, not just in the church, but life happens in the world when we gather. Gathering isn't exclusive to us. It isn't, isn't exclusive to the church. Anyone gathers, you can find community there. You can find these things there. You can find common ground when we gather. This is why this last year has been hard. It's been difficult. And not just for the church, but for the world. Because we are created with that DNA to say, we want to be with you. Life happens in the gatherings. The only difference between the world and the church when we gather, the only difference is when it's done right, that when the church gathers, souls are saved. When we do it right, souls are saved. And then the scripture mentions here for a second time. They've mentioned it already at the top, but now we're crumbing down, and the, the author decided to mention it a second time. And so I want to just say that my Caribbean friends will appreciate this. Because the author here says for a second time that they broke bread together. They ate together in their homes. And they did it with a sincere and glad heart. And I want to tell you, since being in Gwinnett, I've been fed by my Caribbean brothers and sisters. And there's an endless supply of food <laughs> that they want to watch you eat. <laughs> so I'm healthy, you know? Yeah, you know, it's important. But I'm going to say is that the early church, the first church, was around the dinner table. That was where church was. Was at the table. Even the church evolves around food. Can I hear amen? amen. Can I hear amen? Around food. This is exciting. Probably the most exciting thing I've said so far <laughs> is that the church evolves around food. This is exciting news. Yes. Because I know I like food and I know you like food. And I know we like to eat it together. Listen, sharing your table 
is an act of worship. Sharing your table is an act of worship. Breaking bread with each other honors God. It does. Real relationships, real discipleship, real life happens at the dinner table. It happens there. Breaking bread with someone that doesn't look like you, talk like you, or live like you brings unity to the world that's filled with chaos. This is what breaking bread together does. It brings healing and reconciliation. Do you really want to bring reconciliation to the church? Then share your table. Share your table with someone that isn't you. I'm telling you, it will change your life. Not just the one coming to it, it will change your life. Share your table. According to research, actually, Research that was done by Child Trends, children who eat at the table with their families almost always eat healthier foods, have a sense of stability and security in their upbringing, display fewer behavioral problems, and have scored higher in literacy skills. Now that same study that I read showed that teenagers who eat at that same table at dinner with their families tend to be healthier, happier, and they often don't suffer from depression. That they actually are most often less likely to think about suicide, take drugs, or lean toward risky behavior. That's what the study showed. And it was not a Christian study. It was just a study about families who eat together. And so, if eating as a family can do all of this, imagine if we did it as a church, eating together. Now, I know things are funny right now with COVID, but a table can be a backyard picnic, it could be a fast food restaurant, or it could be a socially distant front porch. But we break bread together. And then lastly, and I'm done, is we see the effects of what the church looks like when this happens. Right here in Acts chapter 2. That when this happens, when we actually make the church look like this, here's what happens. The scripture says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Even in the early church, they were keeping stats. There's no way around it. I'm just going to tell you. You got to do it. They were keeping stat. They were adding number day. In fact, just the few verses before, when Peter got done talking, so they added 3,000 that day. A church that devotes itself to the teaching of Christ, devotes itself to each other and breaks bread, is a church that grows. But why is growing important? Why is this important? Why do we even talk about it? It is not because we want to show how great we are as a church or as we are as a, or that we are more savvy or have something more fancy to offer to anybody else or heaven forbid, and Lord hear me now, that, that the pastor or the preacher thinks he's God's gift to the church. No, this is not why we talk about growth. We talk about growth because it shows 
that we have created a culture where Jesus can move. Where Jesus can actually move. That the Spirit, a place where the Spirit does not have resistance to bringing life. But in fact, He's welcome to do it. That we are welcoming this into our culture, into our family. This is why we talk about growth. Because when the scripture says that that the spirit will add number to you daily, it means that I have found a place where I can move. I want people there. I want them to experience that. Bring them in. This is why we talk about that. A place where lives are changed. You know, we could be our own worst enemy. We could stop Jesus from moving. We could slap any name on the church outside the building. We could put any name we want outside and call ourselves a church, but it doesn't mean the church belongs to Jesus. Growth is a good sign that there's a good culture. That's what this is. And I could stand here and I could try to create some new initiative or or have some Sunday school competition, or agree to get a pie in my face if you bring X amount of people to the church on Sunday. That one's for my wife, because I cannot tell you how many times she's offered my face for that. (laughs) She's never ran it by me once. Jeez. But do do you really want to know? Do you really want to know how a church grows? Do you really want to know what the secret is? It's when the members leave this sanctuary and they just can't stop talking about it. That's it. It is literally that simple. That we just can't stop talking about it. It was that simple for the early church, and it's that simple today. If Disney was able to create it inside his park, when the only thing on the line is profit margins, then the church must do it when souls are at stake. We must do it. People want to go where people want to be at. It's true. People want to go, actually, let me change it. You want to go somewhere you feel loved, where you feel valued, where you feel like you're a part of the family. You want this. And in fact, you don't have to go to a place and surround ourselves with people who only look like me. Because you see, love translates in every culture. Heaven will not be divided. We will be together. Probably not in uniform. But we'll be together in unity, singing the praises of our Savior. This is it. Do you want to be filled with awe and wonder? Who doesn't? Who doesn't want to be filled with that? So start expecting it. We all, all of us want to be around people who are generous. And not just with their possessions, but with their time and their wisdom and their love. To be generous. To, be, to have that as a part of my spirit. 
What's the last time I've checked my generosity? What does my spirit look like today? Father, we're just praying this moment that as we continued on in Acts chapter 2 and we looked at the therefore go and we looked at your command and we looked at all these things, but today, today was the day we looked at ourselves. That God, we are, are, are preaching directly from your word and we want your, your spirit to find this culture to be absolutely moving and welcoming. That Father, we pray right now that we as a, as a body of believers, as a fellowship of believers, that if we stand here and we have any roadblocks or anything like that, God, then we want you to convict and to just break down those barriers, God, because we only, our primary desire is so that people can know you. But God, we gather together because we want to also be sharper as believers with our own own discipleship and and diving into the word with our fellowship and our love with one another, Lord. So Father, this day, when we're looking at Acts chapter two, at this piece of scripture, that Father, we just want you to take our church and just shape and mold that, Lord, to whatever you need it to be. And Father, we just pray that souls come home. This is, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.